Hey, good morning, New Life Church. Those of you in the room here and those of you who are joining us from your living room, just glad that you're together this morning on this beautiful morning. Wow, you know, uh, in 15 years of pastoral ministry, this is in, in northern Ontario and Manitoba, this is the first time that we've canceled church. And now I'm kind of looking out the window and going, did we really need to do that? Should we have done that? But uh, it is what it is. I'm just glad we've got the technology uh, that those of you who are maybe snowed in a little further from Stonewall um, can join us and that those of you who are town folk uh, could make it out uh, here this morning because uh, you probably know that we really feed off of the energy in the room and it is not easy just to speak to a camera. And so you have a little more work to do, those of you in the room here, okay? Okay, you need to make up for those who cannot be here this morning, a few extra amens, a little more attentiveness to the message, and I'm just glad uh, that those of you who are in the room here could make it out. And uh, like Daniel said, boy, are we ever excited for, uh, for the day, uh, and, and hopefully March 20th, but the day's coming soon when we can gather together in an unrestricted, unhindered way, when we can hug and handshake and to see one another's faces, and uh, we're really excited about that. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the moment when you first were confronted with the reality that your dad was not all-powerful? Now, I know some of you, sadly, you did not have a dad that was present in your life for one reason or another when you're growing up, so maybe you want to think of your mom or the person who raised you. Many of us, most of us will have had fathers that were active in our life in those first years. And so, do you remember the moment when you were first confronted with the reality that your father or that person who raised you was not all-powerful? You know, I think little kids, they come into this world thinking that daddy or parents can do anything. And they will brag on the playground about what their dad can do and how strong their dad is. I'm not sure my kids have ever done that. But I remember that moment pretty well, actually. Uh, it's a moment that's actually seared into my memory. I, know I was about maybe seven, eight years old. The family went on a little outing. We lived in the foothills of Alberta on this, what appeared to be a really beautiful day. We thought we're going to go out and we're going to enjoy this day in this little aluminum boat that the Hildebrand family had, a little outboard motor. So we took it to this lake. I think it was called the Chain Lakes in the foothills of Alberta. And so we were out as a family, myself, maybe Rusty was seven, mom and dad, and a couple of young siblings. Beautiful day out in the middle of the lake on this boat. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this storm rolled in over the hills. And before we knew it, it had engulfed the lake and engulfed our boat and these these winds came and the waves came and it actually started to break over our little aluminum boat and our, water, and our boat started to take water. And even though we were all wearing life jackets, I just, uh, I, I remember that moment vividly when the lake turned. And I remember looking at my dad and seeing panic in his face. And that's when I realized, uh-oh, dad is scared, mom is scared. Because I already knew at this point that my dad did not know how to swim. My dad actually had failed yellow, like the yellow level, like two or three times. He actually took it as an adult with kindergartners and failed on multiple occasions. Because apparently some people just have this body chemistry where they cannot float. And my dad was one of those. My dad could not float. My dad couldn't swim. And so we, we never really took these water vacations. In fact, I remember floating down the Milk River in southern Alberta, which wasn't very deep. We're all kind of floating down this river, touching bottom. I was ahead of my dad. And then I came to the spot where I couldn't touch. It was a bit of a hole in the river. And I thought, uh-oh. And I looked behind me, and I saw my dad's head disappear for a few seconds and then reappear as he floated through the hole. And so I just remember this, um, this fear that I was confronted with on that lake, on that day, um, during that storm, when I realized that my dad couldn't save me in this situation. Now I'm here. Um, by God's grace, we were able to get the, the little outboard motor conked out. We had an oar or two. We were able to get to shore. 
we were the only people on the lake. We were far away from the dock, and so we started to walk this little family in this storm along the shore. But then we came to this river that entered the lake, and we couldn't cross the river. So here we were. We were stuck in this brutal storm, a few little kids. And I still remember out of nowhere, out of the mist, this boat just came and, and appeared. And there was a man, but I still remember his name. His name was Art, also my father's name. And uh, God had provided this person to come who had spotted us, and He picked us up, and He brought us back to the dock. And as a family, we've talked about that from time to time and wondered, was that an angel? And no, it was no one out on the lake, out of the mist, out of nowhere. This boat appeared. You know, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about, you know, to not be unaware, right, as you interact with people that there are angels among us. So do you remember that moment when you were first confronted with the reality that your dad was not all-powerful? We're continuing this morning our series through the Gospel of Mark called Kingdom Come. And this morning we're going to see how the kingdom of God confronts and conquers our fears. Last week we looked at, uh, in, in, in Mark chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, we looked at four parables that Jesus tells us, stories that He tells us about the nature of God's kingdom. And now as we continue in this gospel, we see four stories of miracles that Jesus performs that all together tell us something about the nature of His kingdom and what it looks like to live it out in our lives. And we see these four stories, and we're going to look at them all together because they're all related as, as Mark arranges them. We see these, these common themes, these common words through these four kingdom stories. We see the words, well, really three common words, power, fear, and faith. These are stories about power, fear, and faith. Daniel read for us that first story that's probably familiar to you, the story of Jesus calming the storm. After Jesus calms the storm, those disciples who were in the boat asked, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Like he just told the storm to stop and it stopped. They were, we kind of sometimes think these were primitive people who believed anything. They were gullible. They were not. They had never seen anything like this before. He commands the storm to stop, and it stops. Who is this? Even nature obeys Him. And so we, we see in this story that Jesus has power over the forces of nature. We're going to see another miracle of Jesus as we continue. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After that, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Why? Because this man was so tormented by Satan. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted out at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? It's interesting, the disciples, they ask, who is this? But the spiritual forces, they know who Jesus is. He is the Son of the Most High God. And they say, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And now he's actually talking to these demon or demons that are possessing this man. And he says, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area, these spirits. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 pigs in total, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And so here we see this encounter where Jesus is, is confronted with a man full of a spirit, a bunch of spirits, 
I mean, that word legion, that's probably not a name. That's an indication of how much the grip that Satan had on this man. Legion was a a Roman term, right? A legion was 6,000 soldiers. Multiple. Now, I don't know what you feel inside when you hear stories about demons and Satan and, and spiritual forces of evil. Maybe you feel a little unsettled about that. Maybe we're not really sure what to do with that as kind of modern scientific people, right? Because we have so been shaped, even as Christians, I think, to have this naturalistic mindset that we can be unsettled by this. But we need to understand the reality that there is a reality beyond the natural realm. There is a supernatural that goes beyond science's ability to understand Our faith is not opposed to science, but it goes beyond science, right? Because there is a reality beyond the material, beyond the natural. God himself is spirit, and he makes material, but he also makes spiritual forces that exist in our world today. And there are good angels, and there are bad demons. This is a reality, these spiritual forces that are at work in ways that maybe we can understand or not understand. And yet even these forces submit to Jesus, okay? Jesus has power over the natural forces, but Jesus also has power over the supernatural forces. And then we get another story, verse 21 in chapter 5. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with the man, and a large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She touches Jesus, she is healed in that moment, and it continues that once Jesus uh, realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? He realized that power had gone out. So in this story, now we see Jesus has power over natural forces, he has power over supernatural forces, he has power over sickness and disease. He has one more miracle in him in the story of four. If we jump down to verse 35, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, John, the brother of James, And when they had come to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And he put them all out and he took the the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and he went in where the child was and he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around, and she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And so you hear this fourth and final miracle miracle in this set, where, where Jesus has power, we find, over death itself, right? They thought maybe, maybe Jesus's power ended where death began. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's too late. She's dead. And Jesus says, it's not too late. Little girl, rise. And she comes back from the dead. 
And so what Mark is showing us here is he's showing us the power of Jesus. He's showing us that Jesus has divine authority over all things. He has divine authority over natural forces, divine authority over supernatural forces. He has divine authority over sickness and death and disease and over death. And what we're supposed to see in these stories is how dire and desperate these situations are. These aren't just little problems. These are the most extreme, dire situations. That storm on the lake, it wasn't just a normal storm. These fishermen, seasoned fishermen, were terrified. The word here is a furious squall, the worst storm they had ever seen. And that that man possessed, it wasn't just one demon, it was a legion of demons. He was as tormented as a person could be. And that woman who had been bleeding, now what we're to understand there, she's bleeding from her uterus, okay, which would have made her it would be like having a menstrual cycle, right? If you know the Jewish law, when a woman was having her menstrual cycle during that period of the month, she was ceremoniously unclean. She couldn't go to the temple for worship. She couldn't touch certain objects. Whoever she touched became unclean during that time. She had been bleeding continuously for 12 years, continually unclean, continually set apart. Her situation seemed hopeless. She had spent all she had And then Jesus, in that moment, healed her. And that that girl, she was dead. Not just dying, but dead. And so what what, what, what Mark is showing us here is the most extreme situations. And Jesus steps in, and he commands these forces. And his command over them, his power over them, is quick and complete. It just requires a word. There is no struggle. There is no struggle. There is simply submission to Jesus' power. Immediately she was healed. Immediately the girl came back from the dead. Immediately the storm became completely calm. And Jesus didn't have to wrestle. He just had to utter a word. Be still. Rise up. Be healed. Come out. No struggle just submission. Jesus has divine authority over all things. And what, 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 what Mark is showing us here is, is that through Jesus, the kingdom of God is kind of breaking out. I, I saw something, and I don't know if it's supposed to be intentional, but we, we have the, the, the picture of when God's kingdom, which Jesus has established, uh, comes to its completion. It's complete and it's final. At the end of the Bible in Revelations chapter 21, it talks about that time when God brings history to an end and His kingdom is fully realized. It says at that time the earth will be renewed. God will dwell with His people. And what does it say in Revelation 21? There will be no more sea. There will be no more crying There will be no more suffering, and there will be no more death. All the four things that these that 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 threatened the lives of people in these stories. There will be no more sea, as those disciples were on the sea. There will be no more crying, as that possessed man cried out. There will be no more suffering and pain, as that woman was suffering. There will be no more death. What Mark is showing us here is that everything. That, that, that in Jesus, God is vanquishing everything that threatens the well-being of human beings, of human life. And so in these stories of Jesus' power, we're seeing how God's kingdom is breaking out, and it is a kingdom of power. And I don't know how that makes you feel. Because we go through life and we face all sorts of situations, big problems, little problems, a variety of fears. We need to be reminded by these stories that this is the Jesus that we worship to, that we worship. This is the Jesus whose name we invoke when we pray. 
This is the Jesus who intercedes for us in our struggles. This is the Jesus we hear from through the Word. This is a Jesus who has divine power and authority over all things. Now, how would that make you feel? You would think that these miracles might induce joy and peace, and yet it's really interesting because there's another word we see in these stories, and it's the word fear. How do they respond to the power of Jesus with fear? Right? Jesus calms the sea, and then it says that the disciples were terrified. Who is this? Who has this sort of power? Jesus' power caused fear. And then when Jesus casts out those demons and, and the news spreads to the community, the members of the community actually come out. We find this in uh, chapter 5. It says, when they came to Jesus, the, the people in the community, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They were afraid. And that woman who was healed from her bleeding were told that when Jesus said, Who touched me? Says the woman, knowing what had happened to her, this is verse 33, came and fell at Jesus' feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Why is she afraid? I don't She's maybe afraid of what Jesus is going to think about her due to her next because she was impure by touching Jesus, which she tried to do in stealth so that not even Jesus would know. No one would know, right? Because she's impure. To touch Jesus is to make Jesus impure. And so now the eyes of this power are on her, and she falls down at his feet, trembling in fear. And so we see this response. You know, when you are confronted with power far beyond what you can understand or control, sometimes, often that brings fear. Because you're confronted with your own weakness, your own vulnerability, that community, right? Like, they saw the power of these demons that possessed this man, but they kind of knew that, they understood it. He had been confined to this one area where he could be managed and controlled, but this is a greater power. What does this power mean for me? It exposes our weakness, our vulnerability, the awareness that we are completely at the mercy of this one. I don't know if you've ever come like face to face with like a, an, a big powerful animal, like a gorilla. You ever been face to face with a gorilla? I remember being at the Winnipeg Zoo. There's a big tiger there. I had no idea how big tigers were. And there's, a, there's, there's, there's glass there. And this thing wanders and I was right up front and the face comes and I know there's glass there but I'm still afraid. I've been at a zoo where I've, where I've been looked at gorilla right in the face. And you realize this thing can do to me whatever it wants. You ever seen that King Kong movie, right? When King Kong holds the person in the hand and looks them in the face. What would you feel? Is, fear, is this, is this power malevolent or is this power benevolent? I am completely at the mercy of this power. And so in these stories, these people who'd experienced the power of Jesus, they feel this fear within them. But we have the benefit of knowing the whole story. We have the benefit to having the answer to the question, who is this? We know who this is. Jesus is our Savior. We have the rest of the gospel of Mark to see where this goes from here. That this powerful one willingly went to the cross and laid down his life for the world. For the broken, for the weak, for sinners, for the tormented. He laid down his life so that we might have life through Him, right? This is what Paul says in Romans 5.8. God demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us.
Paul would go on to say in Romans chapter 8, in all things God is working for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with giving us His Son, graciously give us all things? And so John, one of those guys that was in the boat on that stormy sea, who is terrified, who lacked faith. That same John, when he's old, will write a letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, where this John will say, God is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. And so you'll have Jesus utter this word in these stories again and again, the word faith. He says to the disciples, after He stills the storm, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And He'll say to the woman who is healed from her bleeding, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And he'll say to Jairus, the father of the daughter who is now dead, he will say, don't be afraid, just believe, just have faith. Jesus is showing us here, because of who he is, because of what he does with his power, we we, we are called to and can possess a faith that overcomes and dispels our fears. And we all face fear. What what are you afraid of today? You at home, what are you afraid of today? Might be a little thing, a situation you're encountering, right? It It might be a test that's coming up that you're afraid of failing and what that could mean. It might be a diagnosis that you've got from the doctor. It might be layoffs that are coming to the company. It might be fear of failure. I've been battling that one through COVID, trying to help navigate our church through a time, having to confront over and over again fear of failing. Sometimes we experience fear and worry, and we don't even know why. We just have this sense that this is a big world with all these big forces that are outside of our control. And there might be war in the Ukraine. And, then the, and, 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 and when I go to the supermarket, there's less and less on the shelves. And what's going to happen with COVID? Is this really the end? We, we, we sometimes are just overcome when we look at the world that... that Things seem so out of control, outside of our control. And we maybe can't even identify why we feel fear and worry, but we do. As we look at the world around us. You know, the storms on the outside become storms on the inside, right? That's what we see in that story. This this storm on the lake became a storm in the minds and hearts of those disciples. And you know what that's like, the storm of fear, of worry, of doubt, of disappointment. And Jesus here says the antidote to fear in light of His power is faith. And we throw that word around a lot. What is it? What is faith? And if I can have a point that's going to be on the screen, I don't got a bunch of points, but this is something I thought was important enough and central enough to what I'm talking about here, what, 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 what Mark is trying to show us that I thought, I'm going to put this on the screen so you can lay your eyes on this. Faith is confidence in the power and presence of Christ. Faith is confidence in the power and the presence of Christ in your life. And, and, and you need to hold both of those things because one without the other will not give us, will not allow us to have faith that overcomes fear. We will need both. 
confidence in the power of Christ and in the presence of Christ. And so, for me, a place I go to often when I find myself kind of overcome with fear, confronting that worry in my life, something that has, I found has kind of ministered to my fear, the words of Jesus at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, and this is um, you know, commonly called the Great Commission, right? Because this is where Jesus gives His uh, mission to us, to His disciples, right? When He says, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Go into all the world and carry my mission. But I love how Jesus sandwiches this command. He sandwiches it with, with two statements of reality, which when I come back to it, for me, helps me in the face of whatever fear I'm going through. Jesus says, before he gives that command, in verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay, that's the power of Jesus. He's talking about his power over what things? All things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And, and that's, what, that's what Mark has just shown us. Power over the natural. Power over the supernatural. Power over sickness. Power over death. Power over all. All authority has been given to me. I possess it. Little Christian. Little church. Okay. So here's the, here's the command I give you, this, this big, bold command to go into all the world and to do this. But then, at the end of that, he provides another promise. And I love these words too. He says, at the end, verse 20, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is talking about His presence here. Not only is He all-powerful, but Jesus is all-present in the lives of those who follow Him. Right? I am with you when ways? Always. Sometimes, all times to the very end of the age. And so what we see here is we see Jesus declaring that He is all-powerful and He is all-present in the lives of those who follow Him. And that is the foundation of faith that overcomes fear, to know that Jesus is all-powerful and that Jesus is all-present. And you need both of those. You need confidence in both of those things to have a faith that can overcome fear in whatever situation you might face. What difference would that make in your life and the way you live and the way you think if you believed that Jesus was all-powerful and ever-present? That He had authority over all things that you could face and that He was with you to the bitter end. What difference would that make in the situations you're facing right now, church, Christian? What would it look like to live in light of that? Well, I think if you were confident in the power of Christ over all things, wouldn't that cause you to pray? Wouldn't that cause you to come to God and ask? Ask Him to use His power to do the things that He can do? Isn't that what Jesus invites us to do, even commands us to do? We see this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. For which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Jesus says, ask, seek, knock on God's door. 
You know, I, I'm just convinced the problem with us today is not that we ask too much of God. We ask too little of God. We don't believe enough in the power of Jesus and His authority over all things. Because if we really did, we would ask. We would ask more. We would seek more. We would knock more because we would believe. We would be confident in His overcoming power. What are you asking for? Are you, are we expecting too little of our Jesus? God responds to faith. This is what Jesus is showing us here. In these stories, in each instance, it's the person with the need that's coming to Jesus. Jesus doesn't go and say, hey, you want me to heal you? Hey, you want me to raise your daughter from the dead? Hey, you want me to cast a demon out of you? If you look at these stories, in every case, it's the person coming and seeking out Jesus to ask Him, to beg Him, that He would use His power to make a difference in their situation. What Mark is saying is that God responds to faith, and He'll really make that clear because really this section of teaching that Mark has in mind, actually ends in the first verses of chapter 6, these next verses, where Jesus now goes, after He's done these four incredible miracles, He goes to His hometown, right? And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The people in His hometown don't believe. Isn't this the carpenter? They don't believe Him. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Don't we know His brothers and sisters? Didn't He go to the school down the street? And it says, and they didn't believe Him. They took offense at his power, at his claims, at his teaching. And it says that Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus could not do any miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now, what that doesn't mean, I don't think here, what does that mean he couldn't do? It's like he tried, like, be healed, get up and walk not working. Get up and walk. What does it mean he couldn't heal? It doesn't mean he couldn't. It didn't, it didn't mean that his power was rendered less powerful because of the lack of their faith. It's trying to say that he delights and is pleased to respond to people's faith by the using of power. It's not like that Jesus adds his power, we add our faith, and then there's this chemical reaction that creates miracles. He doesn't need our faith to work His power. He chooses to respond to our faith with His power. What we're to see here is that faith flings wide the gates to receive the power of Jesus. We still believe in a Jesus that can calm the seas, cast out the demons, heal the sick, and raise the dead. Faith flings wide the gates to receive His power. It knows that God can, and so it asks, it seeks, it knocks. But it doesn't always receive what it asks for, does it? Maybe you've asked and you didn't receive. Or you didn't receive that which you sought. You know, faith is not just confidence in the power of Jesus. Faith is also confidence in the presence of Jesus just as much. Here in that storm, Jesus was sleeping. What does his sleeping mean? Why was Jesus sleeping? They were all frantic. They were certain they were going to die. And he's asleep. because Jesus knew there was no reason to fear. But the disciples wake him up, and in a panic, they say, don't you care, Jesus, that we're going to drown? They took his sleeping in the middle of the storm as indifference. We're about to die in the situation, and apparently you don't care because you're not doing anything about it. 
If you were here, you would do something about it. We're going we're gonna to die, and you don't care. You're not attentive to our situation, they say. And don't we do the same thing sometimes? We're going through something, some hard, some storm we're facing, and we just want Jesus, we want God to still the storm, to end the storm. But the storm keeps raging. And we wonder, is God here? Does He care? Is He indifferent? After Jesus rebukes the storm and tells the storm to be still, He looks at His disciples and He rebukes His disciples. Why? Why did He say, you lack faith? Why do you still lack faith? What, is, what were they supposed to do? Was, did Jesus mean like they were supposed to calm the storm? Is that what they were supposed to do? No. Why is He rebuking them? It's because... This was a point now where he thought you should understand that if I'm with you, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. Sometimes I'll still the storm. Other times I'll bring you through the storm. But if I'm with you, you have no reason to fear. And there I was in the boat with you, was I not? That's what Jesus is getting at. If I'm with you, you will not drown. And Jesus says to us, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If Jesus delivers us from the storms, we know that He can deliver us through the storms. That's what He's saying. If Jesus can deliver us from the storms, we know He can deliver us through the storms. So faith is confidence in the pre- confident in the presence of Christ, even if the storm still rages. He is with us in the midst of that storm, and that makes all the difference. Because coming back to those words Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 when He said, Ask! And it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. He goes on to talk about how God the Father is a good Father. He's a better Father. He says, which of you, if you ask for bread, or if you ask Him for bread, He will not give you a stone. You know what Jesus is saying there? He's like, He didn't promise that if you ask for bread, God's going to give you bread. He said, if you ask for bread, He will not give you a stone. If you ask for a fish, it doesn't say he'll give you a fish. It says he will not give you a snake. In other words, as the storm rages, you may ask for it to stop. You may not understand what's happening within it. But God, if he is with you, will carry you through. Have faith in the presence of Christ in the storm. Faith is confidence in the power and the presence of Christ. So this is what we want to see here because it would be easy to just to see all this power and to feel like, well, to be a good Christian and to have enough faith would be like to seize God's power and to do miracles every time. You know, if we just had enough faith, there would be miracles everywhere. And God still does miracles and He still calls us to ask. But faith isn't just seizing the miracle, the power of God. Faith is seeing the miracle that already is around us, which is the presence of Christ, the one who has authority over all things. So Jesus talks to the storm. He says, be still. And it was completely calm. Yeah, I don't know what you're going through, but I think that we just need to let that roll over our hearts and our minds. Jesus says, be still. And it was still. You know, life is bigger than you, but it's not bigger than God. I remember a trip a few years ago to, to Toronto, being at the... I went, I went to the base of the CN Tower. You ever stood at the base of the CN Tower? I think up until recently, it was like the tallest building in the world. It's tall, right? 
you almost, I almost got vertigo. I, I almost fell over. You, you look up and it's so high you can't even see the top. And I actually remember the feeling of actually being overcome with that sort of fear that those people had when they encountered, you know, the power of Jesus, something that is just way bigger than you and dwarfs you. I remember standing at the base of this building, and it's massive. And then I remember later getting on an airplane and flying up in the air and seeing the sea and tower from that vantage point, and it looked like a hair on the earth. Remember that moment thinking, ah, this is what my problems look like from God's vantage point. He is far bigger than any storm we face. Peace is not found in the absence of storms. Peace is found in the presence of our Savior. Who can calm the storm? Or who can carry us through it? So bringing this kind of to a close here, is, is there a storm that you're in? Those of you at home? Those of you in the room? Is there a storm that you're facing, a fear you're facing. It might be a situation that you can identify, or it might just be this underlying sense of foreboding and dread about the future, and you're not sure why. I guess this is what I would say. You can't overcome that fear just by denying it or avoiding it, pretending it's not there, feeling ashamed that you feel fear. That's, that's not what this is about. You cannot overcome fear by denying it or by avoiding it or feeling embarrassed about it. In fact, we see this pattern for us all throughout the Psalms of David, which are prayers to God. And over again and again, you ever notice how, how, how real and brutal David gets with God? Really? Did you just say that to God? Whoa! You can say that to God? Over and over again, you see David speaks his fears, but he never ends there. Then he speaks to his fears. And I really think, Christians, this is what we need to do. Whatever it is we're facing, we, we, we need to acknowledge it. We need to, you need to speak your fear, like maybe even literally out loud in prayer to God. God, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what I'm worried is going to happen. Speak your doubts. And then, when you get that out all on the table, speak to them. Speak to yourself about the power and the presence of Christ. His promises that He has authority over all things in heaven and on earth and that He will be with you to the very end of the age. And I think that's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, we have been given divine power to demolish strongholds. Therefore, take every thought captive to Christ. Every thought, every fear, every doubt, every worry, every disappointment, lay hold of it, bring it to Christ and take it captive and then speak to it all of the promises of Jesus Christ to you. Speak to it His power and His presence. You know, something I'll do, um, maybe I've shared it before, it's just a little... A little practice I'll pass on to you. It might sound kind of corny because I'm a grown man and who does this? But once in a while, especially at night when I feel really um, maybe overcome with some negative emotion, fear, worry, anxiety, and that happens from time to time, I, I, I think of this story and I come and I actually envision myself coming to Jesus in the stern of the boat and kind of tapping him on the shoulder and saying, can I lay beside you? Can I, have, can I have your peace and your rest? And then I just imagine myself kind of laying down there beside my Lord and Savior in the hull of the boat as the storm rages to experience his peace, the peace of his power and his presence. So do you need rest this morning? In any way, 
from any fear? Do you need rest? Here's a couple questions in closing I want to offer to you. You can put those up on the screen there, Leslie. What storm are you facing right now in your life? What fear are you facing? Don't rush over that too quickly. I don't know that you can overcome it if you don't kind of identify it, acknowledge it. And secondly, how can you practice confidence in Christ's power and presence? What would it look like for you to have faith, to practice confidence in Christ's power and presence in that storm? You know, back as a boy when I was on that lake with my dad and as that storm was raging, what I didn't realize is that my dad wasn't the only father in the boat. And I don't know what boat you're in, what storm you're in, but Christ is with you. And He's power and authority over all things, that He works for the good of all who love Him. Can I invite you into a moment of prayer? Those of you at home, and those, uh, if you're at home, maybe you just want to even take a moment to to speak to God, even out loud, and just um, confess to Him whatever fear that you might be facing in your, in your life right now. And maybe you just want to speak your faith and confess that you believe in Jesus, you believe in His power and in His presence, and that you're asking God just to bring that peace into your storm. Just take a moment and um, thank God for His Son and for His power and His presence in our lives as those who love Him. Father, we thank you that you are in the boat with us, that through your son Jesus, what he has done for us through his death and his resurrection, Lord, that we can know through faith in him that we are never alone, that we are never in a situation that is beyond your power. Thank you, God, that whatever we face, we can have this peace that you will carry us through, you will be enough, that we will not sink. So I just pray for everyone in the room right now and everyone at home, Lord, and you know every storm that we're going through, you know every fear that we might be experiencing, every anxiety, every doubt, every disappointment. I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, Lord, and just remind us of your power, remind us of your presence, and give us peace because of that in the situations that we face today and through this week. In the Son's name we pray, amen.